Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. I hope you're all doing really well. Today, I've got a guest I'm really excited to share with you. I love this conversation with an exercise scientist out of Utah in the United States by the name of Kate Galliott. Now, I heard of Kate through a number of other podcasts, and I, I got stuck into a number of her blogs and started reading, uh, watching her YouTube videos. I was just a big fan of what she spoke about. Now, that message is becoming unbreakable as we age, but more specifically, becoming unbreakable as we pursue the goals in the sport or the physical challenges that we're setting ourselves. And she's got a number of principles that she guides us through for us to challenge ourselves and work towards developing in order to develop an unbreakable body. It was a really encouraging challenge to the message that as we age, we're just expected to get uh, more tired, more slow, and just a little bit more uncomfortable. So really inspiring regardless of what age you're at. Even if you're a little bit older and you think, you know, I've left it too late, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be inspired. A beautiful uh, encouragement for distance runners and not just an encouragement, a really practical guide to making sure we're taking steps in developing our body so we can perform at the level that we desire to perform at. Quick reminder, obviously you heard at the start of the podcast, we're aimed at running and running-based sports. We've got a number of programs for a whole variety of running-based sports at relaxrunning.com. So if you're looking for help or you're looking for personal coaching in the sport that you're a part of, make sure you jump across and get in touch. But for now, let me introduce this episode with myself speaking to exercise scientist Kate Galliott. Hey, I was thinking maybe a maybe a cool way to to introduce you to our audience to let them know a little bit about yourself was maybe you could just set the foundation and explain a little bit about what it is that you do. Oh, for sure. I my journey started when I was unwell and confused by that and frustrated by that. I was quite athletic and sportsy and the whole thing as a child and young adult, but. I was always getting infections. I was always feeling run down and sick and injured. And my fitness was always tethered to injury recovery, kind of rehab hamster wheel, constantly getting on and off that. And um, never really feeling good despite feeling fit and feeling quite like breakable and fragile and just not how I wanted to feel it 20 something years of age. And then compounding that with medical professionals, kind of sports doctors, medicine doctors, things like that, saying, oh, that's just normal. That's just normal. That's just how you are. Mm -hmm. And I didn't yet know what, obviously what I know now, but my 20 something year old brain was like, that can't be possible that I just like lost the genetic lottery and I'm, I'm on the way out already, like at 20 something, that can't be possible. And at the same time, I had just earned my degree in exercise science. And so I began my career as a personal trainer. And so I knew all these things about the body, but it wasn't like jiving with like, well, how do I make it feel good? This is like the, how to make a muscle grow and how to heal an injury. But then I keep getting injured. None of it was adding up for me. At the same time, I met these first two clients of mine who I talk about in my book, um, Becoming Unbreakable. They were like a gift because these two were older 50 late fifties and almost 60. And they were like, screw this notion of getting old. Forget this. No, like I want to, they wanted to hike mountains. They wanted to run marathons. They wanted to live with a capital L, but they didn't know the, how do I build the muscle tissue? How do I rehab an injury? How do we make things more resilient? And I did know that from a scientific perspective, but because of them, they, sh they were like the living example of what I believed should be possible, but I hadn't yet seen somebody prove it, that, that too old is a total myth. This notion of I'm too old to do it, that's a myth. The notion that you're too old to feel good, myth. None of that is accurate. They were proving it. I got to practice on them by using my skill set of science and anatomy and kinesiology and all of these aspects of conditioning a body and went, oh my God, it does work. I can actually help someone feel like it's never too old to do something. They can feel invincible, what eventually I began to call unbreakable. Mm -hmm. And so I spent the next a long time, two decades, um, 
really building out my ability as a coach to help a wide array of individuals, lots of endurance athletes, people who like to run, lots of people who like adventure, lots of people who would probably self-identify as type A, who have hammered their way as far as they can go, but they keep getting hurt or they keep feeling run down or they just, they're hammering the wrong nail, but they keep hammering, right? Um, And so I've spent 20 years working with these folks, but along the way, of course, I worked on myself. And so I was able to cultivate methods and systems and principles that anybody can use to break free from this notion that bodies just fall apart as they age and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel bad the older you get and you should do less. And all of this really demotivating messaging that you're going to hear in your conversation with people who are your own age. Oh, you're too old for that. Oh, what are you doing? Of course, your knees are going to hurt. You're 40 now. Like you're going to hear it there. You're going to hear it in mainstream messaging, like advertisements and medical establishments. And so you really need to take the bull by the horns. And that's some of the stuff I teach is how to take your own bull by its horns and really change how your body lives and how you feel living in it. And so that's, that's what I do today. So I now through coaching and books and, you know, all the, all the goodness, that's how I try to share that message with people. Yeah. It's amazing. It was part of the reason I was so excited to have you on. And I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact that I had a good look through your website and, and looked at, had a good look through some of your YouTube videos. And I'm just slowly, like only I heard about you for the first time about six weeks ago and have just gone down the rabbit hole of so much of what oh. you wanted to say. And, and just that idea of, you know, invincible becoming unbreakable, I, I thought really resonated with my audience as well, because obviously the distance running scene is renowned for, you know, people starting in their twenties. And as you say, you gradually move through your thirties into your forties and beyond. And it's almost just accepted that the way the body goes is just gradually declines and there's nothing you can do about it. And like, I'm sure there's so many reasons for that. Maybe we can unpack that a little bit today, but uh, like one of the things that I notice in, in Australia that I can only assume is really similar in the U S is a lot of people seem to Uh, though they're interested in developing their fitness and developing certain elements of their life, we feel a little disconnected with the the most natural ways to do it. And I think you touched on the medical scene before, and I've had some really interesting run-ins with, um, you know, highly, highly, what do you say, qualified doctors that were just pointing me in the complete wrong direction. And there was a few more natural, more, um, I don't know, like a lot simpler methods that I needed to apply. And it's interesting for me. I, I've really noticed that, um, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate really simple situations. And as a result, we think that our ability to be able to change this, this sort of natural progression of our body just doesn't exist. So well, from your perspective, what do you think is going on there? Why is it that we've just come to believe that as we age, the body's just got no other options but to break down? Well, the side of me that I try not to feed too much is that it's very profitable to let people know that you break down and that there is a solution which will cost you or your insurance company money um, to do that. Now that's quite cynical and I try really hard not to <laughs> live in that part of the world too much, but um, here's here's the reality of what I, I think is going on. Um, Humans are really good at complicating things, especially as we evolve in, you know, generationally, like modern humans are pretty sure they're a lot smarter than our ancestors, even though there's a lot of evidence to show that that isn't necessarily true. Um, but that's, that's our ego at play and that's okay. Uh, and we are smarter in lots of things, but not in all things. So we tend to think we're smarter as time goes on. And we tend to think if we can understand something with modern technology, then we understand it fully. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So what is the most common thing people do when they have pain? That's annoying enough that they're going to go see someone about it. They go see someone assuming I should probably get a picture of what's going on inside of me. I should probably get a picture of the tissue, the bone or the joint. And then they use that as like the end all be all for deciding all action plans henceforth. There is a time and a place to use something like a picture inside to look inside what's going on inside of you. However, what's going on inside of you is being influenced by a variety of signals that your body is responding to. I call it the signal response principle. And it says our bodies are always responding to the signals they receive. The interesting thing is you can look at a picture and find something there, a tear, an extra growth, whatever, And that may not have anything to do with the painful response that you're noticing, 
And you may have no idea why that signal got there in the first place. In fact, I have some notes about this in my book. The amount of people who have, if we imaged their shoulder or their hip, who would have what we would call a problem with their shoulder or their hip, um, and that are that have no pain, no symptom, they're completely asymptomatic, is the majority. So in this in this instance, if your only path is, oh, something's wrong, I need to go know it by taking a picture and seeing what we see, because I can believe my eyes. And then from there, our path is, well, the doctor's eyes and my eyes say, yep, there's something there. Of course, the next avenue is, well, we should remove it. We should address it. We should do something about that thing that we see on the picture. But that negates something really, really important that, well, first of all, sidebar, Pain is not always indicative that there's a structural problem and there can be structural problems, problems, not really a problem, an abnormality without pain. So pain does not necessarily equal something broke in the tissue. There can be a variety of other reasons for that. But also if our body is always responding to the signals it receives, is the first signal your body needs to hear to be able to respond surgery? Hmm. What about movement? What about inputs like force, um, motion, rotation, um, ease, something that type A runners especially struggle with, like truly finding ease and getting out of that fight or flight response of going hard, training hard, always achieving. Those are powerful signals for people don't even know how much power they have by imparting forces into their tissues through very particular movements that can radically change how that tissue functions, how that tissue structures itself, um, how your brain understands that tissue and joint that is relative to it. Um, but that that's missing. It's like we went from, I don't know what's going on. Let me use my eyes because I can believe those, even though there's a million other things beyond that. And then let me jump to step number 47, which is let's do some surgery on this because everybody forgets just because you have surgery does not mean your problem will be solved. Unfortunately, there's time and place for all this. And none of this is like a referendum on medicine or sports doctors. There is a time and place for all of that. And there's some great work being done. We just put the cart before the horse and jump way ahead into thinking, oh, I've got to do this very like, to me, it's crazy. I don't want to say crazy in, in a negative way, but it's crazy to think the first thing I do is some invasive treatment. I, that's like the 40th step we would want to try. Seriously. It makes so much sense. The reason I'm nodding my head so vigorously here is because, well, ironically enough, I actually, I copped a little bit of sinusitis last week because I think there's a combination of just no sleep getting over here at 50 hours. It's just a long, boring story that I won't uh, take you through right now, but the last uh, probably five years I've had no trouble there. But before then I had two sinus surgeries and was getting prepared for a third. This was when I was at the peak of my sort of uh, running career and I was just trying to navigate my way through constant sinusitis and and constantly feeling of uh, like I was on the brink of getting a cold or getting a flu and just mm-hmm. fevers and a whole heap of yuck stuff and as a result I went to like a really highly respected doctor in Melbourne and as you say in so many in so many areas he probably knows it but this guy he said that my option because I had nasal polyps and he said uh, unfortunately like the, the only option we've got here for you is is surgery and so I went through the first surgery thinking, oh, fantastic, like problem fixed. But as you say, surgery doesn't always equal uh, problem disappearing. And, yeah. and as a result, two years later, I was, I was back in there getting a, a second surgery. And then I was meeting with him to get a third surgery. So the first one, 2010, the third one was going to be 2015. And uh, I, I asked him the question. I said, this is very strange to me. I said, like, I'm, I'm coming here for a third time trying to improve a problem that the last two surgeries have done nothing to help really like at least on a long-term basis and around the same time my uh my grandmother-in-law my wife's grandma who in my eyes was a bit of a hippie she said to me she goes mate I think I think you're allergic to dairy she's like I see what you eat I see what you drink you're consuming a lot of milk you're consuming a lot of uh, yogurts and things and I was like look I'm speaking to the best doctor I know I I, I, in all respect I'm I'm probably not going to do it she goes look if you change your mind you want to give it a go test it out Long story short was she, she absolutely nailed it. I, I cut dairy out of my, my diet for a month. And I'm obviously not trying to say it's like a one size fits all. I'm just saying my own personal testimony to this. And that was my introduction to, okay, surgery is not the first step. There's other things that could be causing the problem. Is that a problem that you see regularly in what you do? Because I can imagine that 
if the the most qualified people that we're going to are saying in many many cases hey uh you probably need surgery to to see breakthrough in this particular issue there's a lot of us going down that line before we look at at anything else and i mean you could compare that to you know the the psychology and the the, the antidepressants jump which obviously has its place as well but also there's so many different factors that that might come into play i'm just connecting dots as i talk to you but um, i see that tons of times i mean it's it's understandable because nobody nobody gets educated in school or otherwise about real body care. That's why when I, when I was doing my book and I was like, well, okay, well, I was talking to my editor. She's like, what do you want the subtitle to be? And I'm like, well, this book is about teaching people how to like know how to work with their bodies. I want them to build a body they love living in. I don't think anyone knows how to do that. Like, in this way, you know, I mean, we can, we can be grateful even when we're struggling and that's, that's a good thing to do. Right. We can feel glad, what would no matter our circumstances, you know, that's always lovely to do. Um, but I mean, like literally structurally build a body that you love living in. When has anyone learned how to do that? And you usually get two folks, two types of folks, folks who are like, I don't, they don't even know that there's another thing they could look into. So they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, let's take a picture. Oh, well, the option is surgery. And that's their lane. So that's, of course, what they're going to suggest that you do. Um, that's one type of person I meet. Another type of person I meet has tried so many things. So they think that they're like, I've tried everything. And I always say, I am glad I'm talking to you now because I, I bet I have something you haven't tried yet. Maybe I don't. And in which case, then I'll shuttle you off to the next person who might be able to help you. But those folks have tried lots of things, but they're all like kind of piecemealed together. I'm going to try um, so-and-so on the internet talks about this. I'm going to try this other thing. I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to try carnivore. I'm going to try uh, film acetone. I'm going to try like, they, like they're trying to piece a million things together, which is admirable. Um, but what, what's missing is this cohesive sense of when you, you're, you're uh, the grandma-in-law of yours, uh, she was spot on. I call it the explorer's mindset. You need a cohesive sense of how to piece things together and then give it long enough to know if it actually worked for you. People are jumping around, they're mashing things together. You don't know what's actually working or, or working against each other as you're trying it. So the explorer's mindset is just that. You're going to explore your environment. That includes your inner ecosystem of your body and your outer ecosystem of the environment you're living in and the things that you're doing or not doing. And just like if you were an explorer who landed on like Jupiter and you're the only one who's ever going to be there, you need to figure out how do I make life here hospitable? What's here that I can put to use for me? What's not here that I'm going to need? What is an immediate problem to my survival here? And what should I do about it? Like dairy, dairy is a problem. We need to do something about that for you. Um, and so then you're going to start experimenting and really use what, if any of us remember this from maybe grade school or college science, the scientific method of going... I think my problem will be improved by removing dairy in 30 days. I will check and see, and I will be diligent about the experiment and I will keep try to keep other variables the same. So I don't screw with too many things. And then I will assess and see what came of it and decide, well, that was good. I'll do more to see if it gets even better or wow, nothing really happened yet. What else do I need to do to tinker with that? In doing those experiments, then you start to curate your own personal protocol of stuff that works to make you feel your best and stuff I'm going to use when the poo-poo hits the fan and like you trip and you roll your ankle and you're like, damn, I have an ankle sprain now. You already have your protocol of what you know works for you because you've done it before. Mm -hmm. In addition, this helps you build this wonderful thing called autonomy where you know what's best for you and you're in the driver's seat. And this is also lost a lot in the world today because we do look to experts a bit more than we should. We trust other people more than we trust ourselves. We listen to people because they happen to be even people listening to me, I'm like, listen, and then run it through your own filter. I don't, I'm not your expert. Like what's that old saying? Like, I'm not your guru. Like I'm not your expert. I just have things to share. Your job is to be like, I'm the driver of this body here. 
I'm going to take this in. No, that doesn't really work for me, but I do like this other thing she said. I'm going to experiment with that and then go on about your merry way. So I, I love that your, your grandma said that. That's so cool. It was so funny. I mean, I'm so glad she said it now, but at the time I was like, mate, I, really, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. But thank, anyway, <laughs> thank you. <So funny. laughs> but it's inspiring what you're saying because the idea that uh, if you go to a if you go to a, a sports doctor, just as an example, and they say this is your only option, you leave there feeling like I, I didn't really want that option. Like the idea yep. that there's many potential steps that you can take before, uh, you know, before you just jump in and, and do the surgery, for example, is is really encouraging. And I actually um, like one of the examples that comes to mind was a few years ago, I lost a couple of people quite close to me. And I've just gone through a period of grief. Now I look back and I, I went through a, uh, I went to a, a therapist and said, mate, look, this is what I'm going through. And he said, look, you need antidepressants. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think I do because this is what's going on in my life. And uh, we had like that little bit of a, a conversation. And for me, just it was just a, a time and patience thing and, and maybe like a, a better view on how to look at it that was the most helpful thing. And, and just to have that autonomy that you speak about through a couple of other experiences to go, okay, well, I'm not saying I'm smarter than this guy. I'm just saying that for my own personal situation, I think there's other options that you can take. And I, I find that really inspiring. I find it really encouraging. And, and for, for the athletes out there that are listening, I, I can imagine that'd be inspiring because every athlete, uh, just to stay on topic, every athlete has some, some form of niggle in their body, I'm sure, whether it's pain or inflammation or, or whatever else, it's not always a, uh, uh, you know, cut open and stitch it up uh, approach. I, I find that really good. Kate, um, before I go too far uh, down that rabbit hole, I wanted to bring it back to something you said earlier, because Obviously, with a topic this broad, um, there's going to be things that we can apply as a bit of a blanket rule as to how people can uh, take practical steps to ensure they're, they're uh, you know, developing their ability to be unbreakable. Obviously, individuals have, have certain facets that they're going to have to focus on more than others. But I, I think in my reading that you had six uh, sort of practical steps that, that you offer, and I think you might have touched on them earlier. Um, first of all, is that right? And second of all, if it is, are you able to give us a little bit of an overview on that just so we could unpack it a little more together? Yeah, for sure. I think there it's important to um, find your entryway into feeling your best because a lot of people will be like, well, that all sounds great, but my body is rebelling against me and I hate my body and it lets me down and I get it. If you've been injured a lot, it your body feels like it betrays you. And that's the opposite of feeling unbreakable. Um, so one of the things I developed in my coaching of endurance athletes, but this applies to every human living in a body, whether you do endurance athletics or not, is um, there are these six pillars that when you build them up, you build this really solid base in your body so that it functions more the way it's optimally designed to, so that you disperse loads more appropriately throughout your body, which helps you avoid more of the overuse or misuse injuries. Um, and it helps you in build strength and mobility in a way that you then can layer more things on top of that and really excel. Um, I think a lot of people, when they miss the six pillars of an unbreakable body, they get going in the workouts and then something trips them up. Low back starts to creep in when they're on the, the bike for their triathlon training, their shoulder starts bugging them again. Their Achilles starts being a problem again. And you are on that kind of hamster wheel of injury recovery, injury recovery. And a lot of that has to do with, I mean, from my perspective, not having all six of your pillars kind of topped up. So when I was developing that, I was like, okay, well, how do I also have something that I can a client can easily memorize it and then apply it to their own life. Because what, again, as I said earlier, what I am not is your guru. I don't have the perfect system for every person. I have the perfect system for you. If we sit and talk and I gather data from your body and I help figure out what you need. And I have a good general template for every individual, but I don't have the exact answer for every single person. But by using the six pillars, you can find the exact answer that'll work for you. And maybe that means using my programs or someone else's, um, but you can still build your six pillars regardless. So let's go through the six pillars. Um, I usually share them from the ground up because it's easiest for people to picture them. Um, although it's not necessarily the order that we would you know, address them. Uh, but starting first with strong feet. So runners, of course, know they need strong feet. I am so, I remember before the time before feet, when nobody was training lower legs and feet, other than maybe some calf raises, um, nobody was thinking about their toe function or their intrinsic muscles of their feet or building arch strength. Nobody was thinking about that in the mainstream. Um, and it's so nice to see that 
people are starting to think about that now. And so strong feet is the first pillar of an unbreakable body. Both that area, of course, is needs to be strong and functional and have the appropriate amount of mobility and strength for what you need. But everybody forgets too, that like our feet are influencing things like our hips and they're influencing our brain. Because if our uh, foot doesn't have good mobility and it doesn't land on the ground in a certain way, that's going to go all the way up the chain to our hips and our hips are going to be having to accommodate that as well. Our brain is constantly on alert, gathering information from our feet about the sensory environment that we're living in. If we aren't giving our brain good information because our foot doesn't hit the ground in the way it's ideally meant to, or it's not, um, you know, the toes aren't grabbing at the ground, if they're maybe more hammer toed like this, or if the big toe is starting to turn into like a a bunion sort of situation, that is going to alter the information that your brain gets, which will alter everything about how your body functions. So strong feet is from the ground first, then we'll go up to mobile hips. That's the second pillar of an unbreakable body. Uh, I think we all know when our hips get tight from running too much or being on the bike too much, uh, we know we're like, oh yeah, my my hips suck. I can't squat down (laughs) anymore or like it kills to get up out of a chair or I can't do the splits or whatever. Um, And that's, it's important to have enough hip mobility to do the activities you want to do. But here again, we have to remember that our hips are also going to be influencing other areas of our body. So we want good hips, but we also want good hips so that, for example, um, when we extend our leg behind us, that we don't end up using our low back to do that because our hips can't. Because remember, your body's going to always do what you ask of it, or it'll try, but it may not pick the most effective way to do that if you don't have the, the tools to do it. And if a hip can't extend, you'll have to go to your low back to do that work, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's number two. Number three is strong glutes. And I think as runners, I enjoy running myself. I think as runners, we know like you better have some glutes or you're going to be in real trouble, um, both for speed and for distance and people develop piriformis and SI issues and stuff like that. So we want to build strong glutes, but also our glute strength is influencing our ability to shift our body from left to right. And you might think, well, that's just a given. I shift my body from left to right with every step I take. Yeah, but you don't. If you don't have your glutes dialed in and connected to the rest of your body, you are going to struggle to shift your weight from left to right. And you're going to over rely on things like your quadriceps to to help you do that. Mm -hmm. Moving up from there so that we've got strong feet, mobile hips, strong glutes. Now we're on to strong torso. And people used to often think of this as just core work or ab work, um, but it's so much more than that. And I think that tide is starting to turn in the fitness world, which is pretty cool. The strong torso work is literally everything from your vocal folds of your neck all the way down to your pelvic floor on the bottom of your pelvis. And then of course it wraps from your spine all the way around to the front. So when we think of strong torso, yes, we're thinking about strong body so that, you know, your low back isn't carrying a lot of load or compressing the discs in a way that's not ideal. Um, so that you're not getting a hernia, you know, like on the umbilical hernia or down by your groin. Um, and so that your abs look the way you want them to look, if that's something you care about, but also our torso needs to be strong so that we can breathe effectively, Mm. most importantly, because that's going to influence your nervous system, which will influence literally everything about how you function in this world. So that's what we're thinking about with strong torso. It's so much more in depth than just, do you do some planks, Mm. you know? Yeah. Moving up from there, we've got mobile shoulders. And I think runners sometimes think, oh, I don't need to worry about that. Uh, Until they start getting that pain up in their upper neck and shoulder (laughs) on like the 10th mile. And they're like, ah, my neck's killing me. Uh, But swimmers, definitely. My triathletes, swimmers are definitely thinking about their shoulders. My bikers, they're definitely thinking about their shoulders. And the everyday person who's like, man, I can't like get my arm back into my coat the way I want to, you know, or it hurts every time I go to reach for something. Uh, We need mobile shoulders so that we're not just being debilitated by something going on in this region, but also too, our ability to move our shoulders is going to influence our ability with, to run well and to have good technique when we run and to weight lift the way we want to. I mean, we want to be strong in our upper body so that we have this strong metabolism, strong structure. And if we can't do weightlifting with our upper body because our shoulders are killing us, well, then we're kind of missing out, aren't we? Mm. Finally, the sixth pillar is strong posture. And in the old days, people thought about posture as like shoulders back and chest up and chin up, but that's really not posture at all. Posture is just the position you assume, and it is determined by the structures, the systems, and the information that your nervous system is getting to find the most efficient position for you. 
ideally the most efficient position for you is one that stacks everything on top of each other so that as gravity is pushing down on you as it is right now, it's not overloading certain areas. Other areas aren't straining to kind of withstand the load um, and your body can actually support itself really well for the long haul. In addition, we don't stay in one position, do we? As I'm sitting here, I'm moving about. As we run, that's a different posture. As we sit on a bike, that's a different posture. We want to be able to assume lots of postures without our body being like, nope, nope, your back's going to go out now. You can't handle that posture. We want to avoid that. So by building strong posture, we can do that. And so in a nutshell, that's the six pillars of an unbreakable body. Yeah, that is awesome. And I feel like we could we could do many podcasts just breaking all of those down. But with the time we could. that we have, <laughs> I, um, I'm i really curious because obviously every, every one of those areas that you mentioned, especially to a distance runner, as much as everyone else, but just for selfish reasons, we'll apply it to, uh, to the endurance crew, is it makes so much sense. And, and the strength and conditioning side of things is one that really fascinates me because until honestly, until about three or four years ago, whenever someone mentioned strength and conditioning, I was like that bloke who, you know, I was focused on, can you see my abs? Good. I'm strong. If you can't see my abs, okay, well, you know, work needs to be done. And, and actually a big part of my growth in this area is, is speaking through, uh, speaking to people like yourself. And I'm not so sure if you know, Angelo Gingerelli, he was, uh, he's a strength and conditioning coach based in, I I, yeah, I think he's in New Jersey, but he, um, uh, he was on here the other day. Don't mind me. The printers just started going off next to me. Um, uh, he was in he, on here the other day having a chat about strength and conditioning and what it means and how it looks. And uh, for me, I used to always just think, okay, go to the gym and you're strong. And, and for the six areas that you mentioned, obviously there's, there's so many different ways I imagine that you'd be able to develop the strength in those areas, uh, whether it be gym or yoga or Pilates or the car phrases that you mentioned. Like, uh, in your own life, what kind of things are you doing personally to, to develop each of those areas to, to build a level of strength? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're totally right because that is the, that is the beauty of the six pillars. You can use exercises. I teach for sure. But even in the programs I teach, I'm like, my friend, you are not meant to stay in my program forever. I am not like your person who goes along with you for life. I want you to go explore someone else's program, Pilates, yoga, do all these things. Um, but that's the beauty of the six pillars. You can do your yoga program and assess and go, Am I getting strong feet out of this? I think I am. Okay. Am I getting strong glutes? We're not really doing like glute strengthening exercises. Like, I mean, I, I stand on one leg and I do a lunge, but like I could probably work on that. So then you could keep your yoga practice and go, okay, I got to get some exercises to work on my glutes. Cause I hear what she's saying. I want to work on that. Maybe I can go learn some. And then you add those into your workout. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like you can use the six pillars with any program that you're doing and assess, are you getting what you need to accomplish the thing you want to accomplish and build the pillar as much as you want? Or do you need to supplement with a few other things? So for me, I um, have a ton of activities I like to do, but the non-negotiable for me is I have a daily practice that's about 20 minutes long um, that focuses on my strong torso first, and then my mobile shoulders second, because my shoulders are a big area of opportunity for me. Um, But with strong torso, it's um, breathing activities that help to get my diaphragm to descend and ascend in the way it's meant to, and to get my rib cage moving in the way it's meant to, and to get my pelvis position in the way that it is meant to, so that I start my day breathing with the stuff in the right positions and getting air in the right places. And there are some very specific things you can do to learn how to breathe more effectively. Folks who read my book, there's a book bonus video thing that comes with it. Well, not comes with it, but you can find it on the internet. And um, there's some videos of exercises that I teach that are like what I'm talking about here. But those exercises help to set the tone for my day. And so then whether I'm swimming, going for a run, doing some weightlifting, doing some climbing, going for a hike, walking my dog, doing some gardening, all of that is set with the precedent of I have had 20 minutes to position my torso and my shoulders in the way that I want and get my nervous system inputting information the way it should be and hearing and sensing and responding. Um, and then as I go through my strength training, focusing on, you know, the rest of the pillars in that sense, or thinking, Oh, I did a lot of gardening today. That was a lot of bending over. Maybe I'll work upper body today and work on, you know, more shoulders and posture and things like that. Um, so that's really the non-negotiable of my day is that 20 minute routine. Yeah, beautiful. It sounds like there's a lot of just natural movement in there as well, which is nice because uh, a subject that fascinates me is just obviously my mum's a great example. She's a, she's in a just a classic role as a, she's a personal assistant at a hospital and she's not mm-hmm. stressed about it, but quite open about the fact that she uh, she sits down pretty much for eight or nine hours a day. 
and uh, that's just how her that's just how her day looks. And uh, I think for for so long that's been a style of living, especially in an office job where we we don't really think too much of it. But that sedentary kind of lifestyle, I feel, or maybe I've just become more aware of it lately, is something that people are looking at a little more closely. Uh, do you think there's many? Um, do you feel as though there's many uh, not injuries, but I'm not sure how you put it. Uh, just little intricacies. You look at someone's body and you go, oh, okay, you can see this person hasn't developed a habit of moving their body naturally throughout the day. Like you were saying with gardening, you know, if you've bent down all day, maybe another opportunity uh, at the gym is to focus on something else. Whereas if you've sit da- sit, sat down all day, uh, there could be a few exercises that, that you can really focus on. I ask that because I imagine there'd be plenty of listeners here that do have that style of job where um, they are they are sitting down for a majority of the day. And uh, that could be an area of their life or, or an area of opportunity, as you put it, for them to really be able to focus on. Yeah, it's I think it's one of the big things we're lacking in this world. I mean, it's a classic modern thing where we we think that the answer is to tackle it in very type A fashion. Like I will do a 30 minute strength routine, then I will do a 30 minute run, then that will count for my day. And that is great. Wonderful. Awesome. That sounds like me. (laughs) I hear you. But, um, But beyond that, like you would mitigate so many issues if you just moved more in your life um, and without any particularity to it. I talk about this a lot that since your body is always responding to the signals it receives, the simple way to start is to go, what signals have I sent today? And if the signals you've sent are sit in chair, <laughs> send something else. So like I always joke, like when I would make coffee in the morning, you know, I do the French press or something that takes a few minutes to do. Uh, and you're waiting for water and whatnot. So I'd squat down and just sit in a squat while I'm waiting there. Not for time, not because I need to take a box. Just like it's something other than sitting in a chair on the couch or standing. So I'll do that or do some arm circles, you know, to warm the shoulders up or something. But this injection of just little signals throughout your day really adds up and goes a long way. I mean, we're both sitting here together at a desk. So after we're done, we can get up and do some of the exercises we've learned to work on our feet or to even things like gazing off in the distance. We forget that like your eyes are focusing all day long on something in front of you. And then they're focusing on your watch or how hard you're working out and not just gazing and being a part of the environment and looking in the distance and how that can relax the whole system because you're no longer intently focused with kind of that, that mainline focus right here in front of you, you're kind of taking in the entire world. So I think if folks can just think, wow, what signals have I sent today? And then how can I vary those up? That would be fantastic. That's why I talk so much about lifestyle experiments, not just gym experiments. Like your training, if we want to think of it like that as athletes that we are, your training is your whole life, not your training time. Your training time is the whole thing. So if your whole thing is like, I run, which is a very singular type of motion for a long period of time. And then I do weights, which are very linear in their fashion of squatting or deadlifting or rowing or pulling or whatever. Um, that's a very narrow lane of signals. So you need to ask yourself like, what, what other signals could I send? Could I change the kind of chair I'm sitting in? Could I sit on the floor instead of on the couch? Could I squat? Could I go up and down the stairs a different way? How many different ways can you think of to move your body in a new way and, and inject creativity into the way that you move? I think you'd mitigate a lot of the issues if people did that more. It's interesting. The more you talk, the more I realize I've got to stop teasing people that I see on a treadmill at the gym walking backwards because <laughs> it's probably a perfect example of just moving your body in a fresh way and, uh, and really targeting those other areas of your life. Hey, um, the one thing I've noticed through what you're saying is obviously the, the six pillars are very focused on the, the physical form, physical strength. Um, but what I can't help but notice as you speak is you, you seem to have a real focus on the mindset side of things like asking yourself a new question and reflecting on things in a different way and and really just being in touch with with the mental side of things in order to be able to uh improve mitigate help the the physical body and is that something that you focus on quite a lot as well because you sound very um i don't know if knowledgeable is the best way but you sound very informed and uh, it just sounds as though it's a, a part of your work that you know it, it, I don't, it just really comes across oh thank you i appreciate that i didn't it set out to be like a mindset coach or anything? I don't even like the sound of that word. I don't like Ugh. the sound of it either. And I was trying to be but, with that question. You know I what wanna, I mean? Because I didn't like, want to frame you that way. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. But like the, there's a lot of, here's where I struggle. There's a lot of research that gets done on mindset and that's great. And on how to, how to 
free yourself from the insanity of your own brain. Um, and that's important stuff, but at some time, at some point we need to get out of our head and into our body. And that's where I actually think I am. And the embodiment of yes, physically we're training the body, but like in your body is a soul, a spirit, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, and it's this experience that you're having every day. And I don't, I don't sit here with my clients and go, oh, today I'm going to ask them this question that really makes them think, but I don't know how to not come at it from this perspective. And to be quite honest, it has made it feel uncomfortable sometimes to be a part of the fitness industry, which is so focused on mindsetting your typing your way through mindset training and training hard and which muscle fibers are we working here and what is the outcome we're achieving and that's there's a time and place for all of that but that this is an experience you're having and the space between your ears and your heart and your soul like all of those spaces need to come along for the ride to really have the biggest experience you can possibly have and i think an opportunity we have when we've run into a brick wall too many times is to go, wait a minute, how can I change my view on this? How can I change my view on the world? Because if I don't, I will continue to suffer. And that's why I say, I didn't mean to get to this. I just was suffering so bad that I was like, I've got to find another way. And along the way, this thing materialized where I now am the person that virtually everyone who I get to talk to is like, wow, you really have this more like mind, heart, soul thing going on than just the fitness thing. And I appreciate that so much. And it doesn't mean I'm an expert at it. I mean, I have my own struggles as well, you know, but, um, I think this is something that happens when you go through hard things, you come out the other side, more fortified and more able to speak to the challenge and the road forward with a compassionate pragmatism mm -hmm. to say like, Hey, uh, this is going to be hard. Um, it's going to be really hard. Um, but I know you can do it. Here's some things you might consider. And at the end of the day, it's your journey. So feel free to ignore me if that doesn't feel like it resonates for you. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you mentioned before that you, you went through like the, that formational period for you, the, the period where it got you asking a whole heap of questions was, uh, it, you know, it was sort of the launch pad for you. What was like, what was, were you going through physical sickness? Were you like, what was the, the struggle that sort of forced you to start asking questions? Like, as long as you're comfortable, that's a, a, quite a personal question. Feel free no, to answer that as, as deep or as shallow as you, as you feel. No, I appreciate that. It's, I think it's important to talk about these things because people look at me and they're like, how could you have had any problems? Like we do for everybody. I could look at you and I'm like, your life seems perfect. Mm -hmm. And I know it probably isn't, but you look like your life seems perfect. So, and that person's fast and I'm like, oh, they must have it so easy. They're fast. You know, like we do this comparison game all the time as humans. Um, I had had a lot of it. I was on antibiotics a lot as a kid. So that created a lot of gut challenges, which of course, anyone who knows gut health stuff means that influences your entire immune system. So then your entire immune system is having a hard time, which means your ability to vitality hard to come by when your immune system is being challenged all the time. Um, so that was happening for a very long time as I was growing up. And the answer doctors gave me was more antibiotics. And I was like, okay, okay. This is not making any sense to me. So at some point I had to stop all that. Um, but then on top of that, I was, my, my father died when I was 17, very tragically. And there was an extraordinary amount of everything you could imagine that came with that. Um, and to this day still is an area of opportunity to continue like growing from, but I, while it'd be great if you were here, he also, that situation and really created everything that has come after that for me. And this place that I'm in now to speak to what I'm speaking to. On top of all of that, I had this really terrible relationship with my body where I was con using control as a way to manage it and kind of dragging it along, kicking and screaming. So that meant working out super hard all the time, ignoring clear signs for my body, clear body responses of pain, 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 ignoring that and just going forward, um, not giving myself time to heal when that did happen, dieting my ass off to try to manage myself into something better. Um, and I had to release all of that to go on this journey, which let me tell you, the first few years of that is a nightmare. Like it's, you can do it, but like be ready to face your your stuff as you go through that, because you're having to not only let go of the thing that was security to you, like even if it's not working, security tends to feel better than the unknown. They always say, 
people will gladly take a, me a mediocrity that they know over a potential for greatness that is unknown. And I had to be willing to go, damn, yeah, I don't, I gotta be willing to go. I gotta be willing to see what's on the other side of this. Cause I don't feel good, even though I know how to diet and how to ignore my body and how to train hard and how to resist everything that is, I know would be good for me. Um, and so in doing that, it really started sending me on this path of first being hurtled into like space where you're like, oh my God, I don't know where any of this is, but in a weird way, in a not weird way, because our bodies are always responding, but in a weird way, at first I was like, you don't say I'm starting to feel better. And my world hasn't fallen apart, which I thought it would. When I let go of who I knew myself to be, I thought the whole thing would fall apart. And that was the first big lesson of like, oh, it didn't fall apart. And I feel better. Oh, and so then you start going on this journey to unpack all of this stuff and refigure out who you are. And for those out there who, who run and have a little something around body stuff, like you said, abs or no abs, you know, I was there too. I was like abs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is sometimes a point in that journey of going from breakable, but I know it. And I'm like, oh, I'm struggling, but I, at least I know this, you know? Two, I'm unbreakable and I'm confident and capable and I'm as fit as I want to be and strong as I want to be. And I look how I want to look and all of that. There may be a section in there where your body does start changing and in, in a direction you're like, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be slower. I don't want to have to lift lighter weights. I don't want my abs to be hidden under a layer of, you know, subcutaneous fat um, because our bodies are changing with us. And that's the beautiful thing. They are changing as you respond, but initially you might not love where it's headed as your body transforms into what it could actually become. So anyone out there who's like, yeah, but I'm terrified of gaining 10 pounds because I'll slow down as a runner. That might happen. But keep in mind, the bigger picture here is, do you like how your body's responding? And if you don't like it, you can always go back to the way you were. You can diet back down another 10 pounds so that you get faster again. Like you can always go back to what you knew before if you don't like where you're headed. Yeah, really good, really good. Hey, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a, a question from left field at the moment, but I was curious to know. Obviously, in the world of health, in the world of well-being and strength and fitness, there's there's always so many. Um, you know, especially we mentioned Type A quite a lot here today, and you said you resonate with the fact that I've got a little bit of that personality about me. Sometimes um, there's always something else to learn, something else to implement, something else to get you excited. Uh, in, in your own day, um, you know, from a personal perspective, are there, are there certain things on top of your breathing exercises, like whether it's diet or exercise, are there, are there other elements that you're just super pumped about right now? Anything fresh in your life where you're like, man, I can't believe I didn't know about this a year ago or two years ago, but this is such an awesome part of my, my daily routine. Yeah. I think one of the big ones that changed for me in the last couple of years was, was footwear and shoes and the next level of knowledge I got about what a shoe is actually for really blew my mind because I was, I am guilty as charged. I was on that natural footwear bandwagon for the longest time because mm. the science seemed, it made sense to me. I was like, Oh, right. We want feet to be natural. So we should be in natural footwear. However, that is missing a part of the story. So <laughs> our feet are a really important sensory you know, collection device for our brain that will tell our brain a variety of things about whether it's safe in the environment and thus should it allow certain joint ranges of motion, should it allow our lungs to inflate a certain way and our ribcage to move a certain way and our pelvis to position itself in a certain way. And what our feet need is to be met. I mean, who doesn't need to be met, right? Like everybody just wants to be met where they are in this world. Our feet need to be met. And so all of the contours of the feet need to be met with something, something that connects you to the ground. In ancient times, that would have been a sandy beach or um, kind of some tall grass with some soft dirt, you know, in it. Your foot would have sunk down into it. Uh, could have been snow. It would have been something natural like that where every contour of your foot was met. Unfortunately, in the modern world, and this is where I missed with the natural footwear thing, most of us are walking on concrete, sidewalks, hardwood floors, and laminate for the 99% of our life. We go to the beach sometimes, you know, we might trail run a little bit, but um, mostly we're in kind of hard non-natural surfaces. So there's a mismatch there. Our feet are like, I need to be supported. And the ground's like, this is all I got. And so then we've got a gap between those two. We need our shoe to be the thing that provides the missing gap there. As, as my, one of my teachers said, he said, bring the beach to your foot 
by getting in the right shoe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's mind blowing because I had never thought about shoes that way. And so I'll add my own kind of two cents to that phrase. Shoes are for your brain as much or more than they are for your feet. And a natural footwear, minimalist footwear is not very much for your brain to work with when you're on hard surfaces. If you're on sandy grass and beaches and terrain and things like that, no problem. But if you're on hard floors and concretes and things, treadmills, you need your shoe to be the beach for you. So a better shoe is going to meet your feet where they actually are. And there are actually better shoes for certain people that are not minimalist, that are going to give you more of a natural foot than the minimalist footwear would have. So all of my clients and students now, we geek out on this and I'm like, let's get you into better footwear when you're ready. And we'll assess your foot and we'll figure out what you need. And we'll find the exact right pair of shoes for you so that the rest of your body and your brain can be more responsive because it's getting better information. So I would say aside from breathing stuff, like footwear is like such a fascinating thing to me because there was just a piece of the puzzle I didn't have a couple of years ago. And now I do. And I can say, wow, I wish I had known that back then. Cause I probably would have not been such on the bandwagon about minimalist footwear, but I didn't. And now I know. So yeah. now I can share that knowledge too. I'm glad you brought up the minimalist footwear. Cause as you were speaking about the, uh, the, the feet earlier, I was going to ask you about what that means and what that looks like. And I, I, if I was a betting man, I would have bet that you're going to talk about minimalist shoes and getting them off. But that's a, that's a really, that's it's super interesting to hear. That's an area of, uh, of my own knowledge that I, I probably should invest a little bit more time in because uh, it's a common question. So many runners ask questions about like, what's the best shoe and why? Uh, and that's a, that's a take I, I, I hadn't heard before, but super, super interesting. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that one. Hey, um, yeah. I'm going to let you go in a minute. Last question for you is I've got a, a glimpse of a, a little tattoo on your, your left upper arm a couple of times this podcast. And I was wondering oh, what the, uh, yeah, what the, uh, has that got anything to do with what you're talking about now? Or it's an interesting little, I, I assume it's got some meaning to it because it looks as though it's a, uh, it's got a message within it. Yeah. Um, no, when the aliens come, that's how they'll notify me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's a constellation. So kind of alien, like, um, it's a constellation that's really important to me. And, um, it's something I want to remember. And that's how tattoos are. I see you have tattoos as well. Like there are things you probably want to remember. Uh, well, maybe some people get the ones just for fun where they're like, Oh, it was a fun day. I got some artwork on my arm or whatever. And I, okay, that's you, but yeah. usually there are things you want to remember and, uh, remember an important time in your life or remember an important thing about you. And this was, uh, both an important time in life and an important, uh, moment that I wanted to remember and concept I wanted to remember. Um, and I really love the stars. I really love the night sky. I really love stargazing. Although these days I'm like so tired because I get up at like six in the morning with my dog and have a full day. And then I'm, I'm like, well, it's eight 30. I guess I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I don't catch as many night skies these days, but winter is a much better time for night skies for me because it's sunsets at four 30. And I'm like, Oh great. There's stars at six o'clock at night. I love this. So <laughs> I tell you what, I came from a, a Melbourne winter to Oregon summer and couldn't believe it was, I think it was like quarter to 10 the other day before it was yeah. completely, completely dark. I was so confused, but uh, confused yeah. in a good way. Yeah. The days are, the days are long here at the moment, but Kate, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to, to hear from you. And as I knew it would be, I, I knew I was going to love what you were about. And that was just a really, uh, really easy chat. So thanks so much for the uh, the work you're bringing to the table. Thanks so much for your knowledge. Oh, and uh, I, I would love, the, love to do this uh, with you again one day if, you, if you're keen to jump oh, back on. Fantastic. I would love that. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No worries. I'll see you later. See everybody. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.